Hello and welcome to the Pixel Swim Podcast, episode 64. I am Steve Heinrich, your host, and this is the podcast where I take a dive into my personal journey through design and technology and where they meet, plus other tidbits I find interesting. Uh, This episode is being recorded on Wednesday, for once, Wednesday, April 10th, 2019, and will be released on Thursday, April 11th, 2019. Visit pixelswim.com for all of the show notes and social links if you want to follow along uh, with any of the links or things that I'm talking about today. Or if you want to leave any feedback, you can head over to pixelswim.com for that. And you'll find links to my Twitter, MeWe, and I think LinkedIn. (laughs) I don't think I connect with many people on LinkedIn other than professionally, but the link's there if you want to hook up on LinkedIn as well. And uh, also just a heads up and thanks to Ted Salmon for pointing this out after the last episode is that the MeWe link, if you do not have a MeWe account or you're not signed up for MeWe, that link will just take you to a page that will require you to either log in or sign up uh, to add me as a friend on MeWe. So that's what that MeWe link is, is there for. So it's not as straightforward as, say, a Twitter profile, which is public. It's uh, MeWe's all still very private. So, yeah, you'd have to have a, an account and sign in uh, if you're going to follow along on MeWe. So thanks, Ted, for that tip. That was uh, very helpful, and it's a good thing to clarify. So, All right, so let's jump into our weekly feedback notes and links. So, yeah, let's start with the feedback, actually, after the the previous episode i didn't have any feedback but this time i had quite a bit Uh, i think people have gone through similar things with their dvds and their uh, plex servers etc so first bit of feedback is from twitter uh it's from gareth miles uh gareth miles of the tech addicts uk podcast or just tech addicts and i'll put a link to his podcast in the description if you want to check that out i really enjoy (laughs) i really enjoy the tech addicts podcast so anyway gareth says he says thoughts on your plex server install chrome and remote desktop no need for a monitor on it interested in how well you can can transcode a 1080p rip on an atom an atom processor he says so yeah thanks gareth for reaching out (laughs) that was uh I was a, kind of a head slapper. Uh, the fact that I could use a remote desktop connection, something I completely forgot that you can do. <laughs> Not that I didn't know about that, but I just, it's one of those uh, that's obvious. I just, you know, haven't, had a situation where I had a computer that was not hooked up to anything and just on the network. So yeah, very good suggestion there. As far as Google's remote desktop application, I looked into that and I actually decided to go with that and try that out. So I'll get into that in a little bit here, uh, a little bit more here. So uh, and the Atom processor transcoding. Yeah, again, that's something I'll get into (laughs) in a little bit. So after I go over the update of my my Plex server situation here. So uh, then Thanks, Gareth, for reaching out on Twitter. Uh, thank you to Ted Salmon for reaching out on MeWe. Uh, he mentioned uh, have me having trouble with Handbrake, and I'll get in, get into that in a little bit as well. There's a lot of stuff to get into here, but he uh, says also that yeah, potentially it is, was uh, Region 1 specific issues. But uh, I'll, I'll, like I said, I'll talk about that in a little bit here. But thanks to Ted for reaching out. And he also mentioned that I should probably, it would be a good idea to contact Handbrake and see if I can submit some feedback as far as uh, the issues I was having. But again, I have some a little bit more to get into with the, the feedback from last week as well here that actually I think would have solved my issue there. But thanks, Ted, for the feedback on MeWe. 
And then thank you to Frank Neathart, who also reached out on MeWe. And Frank says that he also has a Plex server. Uh, he says you might actually need a better CPU if you want to stream devices, stream to devices where Plex has to transcode. Example, streaming to phone displays. Uh, if you ever, if you never ever transcode, transcode Plex isn't using the the CPU much. So yeah, again, that's something I'll get into in a little bit here. Uh, thanks, Frank, for that. And he also says that he uh, has Plex running as a plugin to free NAS, uh, free network attached storage. This is, I believe, is a software for setting up your own network attached storage. Uh, He has an HP microserver, but it might be easier to use QNAP. I haven't heard of that. Or Synology NAS. This might even serve you as an own cloud host so you can store your data in your own house instead of somewhere else. And it gives you the possibility to do easy backups of your computers as well. So yeah, that's a that's a good thing, a good uh, setup that Frank has there with his. Uh, he's got an HP microserver, so that's pretty good. Uh, like I said, I'll get into how my uh, mini PC fared in a little bit here, but thanks, Frank, for the feedback on MiWi. And then also, lastly, here the last bit of feedback is from Kyle Helms, who reached out via email, and he suggested TeamViewer as a remote desktop solution. Uh, I did go with the Google remote desktop. So, uh, but I have used TeamViewer in the past. I like TeamViewer quite a bit. I think I use that with my uh, family members whenever I uh, have to like say fix a PC or something to that effect. I put the the quick uh, small remote desktop application on the desktop for them so they can just double click that and give me the username or the ID and password and I can log in via TeamViewer. So yeah, TeamViewer is really nice. They got a good free version. So that was a good suggestion as well I could have used for that, but I wanted to try out the Google remote desktop because I haven't uh, tried that before. So I went with that first. Uh, he And then Kyle also says that Outlook.com wouldn't let him add his own domain yet because I was mentioning last week that I was able to add in my own server settings and domain name as a synced account in my Outlook.com account. So it doesn't look like it's rolled out everywhere yet. I'm going to have to double check and see if that's actually still working for me. Uh, I did remove it, so I see if I can add that back. But And then he also sent a correction that I I think I said NVMe slot on my computer, and it's actually an M.2 slot. He says NVMe is the type of m.2 drive that it is so the slot is an m.2 the drive is an mvme so yeah thanks for the correction on that that uh yeah i'm not (laughs) unfortunately i'm just you know i'm gonna probably make a lot of mistakes or misspeak quite a bit on some of this hardware stuff just because uh i'm just not the greatest at it but i'm i'm trying the part of this podcast is just to get my thoughts out there and yeah i'm Hopefully, I'm not too many people. Not too many people are taking what I'm saying and trying to do it themselves. That would be, I don't know. Anyway, thank you, Kyle, for reaching out about that. Uh, and also, the last thing that he reached out about, and this kind of goes into what Ted Salmon was feeding back about, was that uh, about Handbrake. And I guess there's actually an extra uh, DLL file that you have to add to the, your installation. So I was looking into the, this link that Kyle sent over and it describes how to add this DLL file to your installation folder to make it so handbrake can decrypt 
the DVDs. So yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the why most of my DVDs were not working with Handbrake. Uh, not so much the region or anything like that, but the fact that this, because um, in the the article that uh, Kyle sent over, it, I think it mentions that they, you know, strictly Handbrake can't really legally uh, package this in with their installation file just because of legalities and stuff like that so uh yeah uh, i'm gonna go ahead and try this i haven't tried it yet i've like i said i've been going with uh magic dvd ripper for a while now so it's uh i'm kind of already in that <laughs> but uh yeah i definitely want to get handbrake to work and if this helps anybody else that's uh, all the better and then he also asked if I had used the uh, Plex on the mini computer on the mini PC that I bought yet. So and again, I'll get to all that in a minute here and and where I'm at with that. So uh, thanks, Kyle, for reaching out about all of that. And I believe that's all the feedback for this week. So thank you, everybody, for all of your feedback. Uh, it's much appreciated. I think, like I said, I think the, the Plex server and the, I think a lot of people out there are trying to do something similar to this or have done something similar to this and we're curious and of, of how things were going. So uh, with that said, I'm going to dive into my LG G6 weekly report real quick here. Just one thing to report is I did install because I did install the Google remote desktop on the, the mini PC. So you can also install uh, an access client on your Android device. So on my LG G6, I installed Google's remote desktop application. Uh, that you can access your remote desktops with. And yeah, it's a super straightforward uh, application. Uh, just basically lists out all of the PCs that you have connected to Google's remote desktop. And I guess all of this is still in beta as well, although it all worked <laughs> perfectly. So, you know, beta, quote unquote. So yeah, I had that on the LG G6. And when I had it on the mini, mini PC, I was able to access it. And yeah, just kind of a nice d different way to get to it. But yeah, that's pretty much it, though, for the LG G6 still going strong. And I think that's yeah, I think that's it for this week. So that's been the LG G6 weekly report. All right. So let's get into my update on my Plex server situation. And this will hopefully answer some of the stuff that came through in the feedback. So uh, after I got all that feedback, I actually uh, the, the weekend after I think I got most of it on Friday, the feedback. I was able to go in and start testing things a little bit. So I still am ripping my DVDs. <laughs> I'm up to 126 of them as of recording right now. So yeah, the 126 DVDs and plenty more to go. So we shall see. I think uh, I still I might have enough room on this one terabyte drive to get all of these MP4s from these DVDs on there. But we'll see. We'll see how how close we it cut we cut it. So. Yeah, up to 126. Uh, and just going through the DVD collection, uh, we've had, the, you know, collected these over the many years, even, you know, before my wife and I were together, you know, so we've had a lot of these DVDs over a long period of time. And you just got to love those uh, full screen versions. <laughs> the yeah, the four by three uh, DVDs, those are not fun to have to rip and then just knowing that that's what we have is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a disappointment when I pull out the DVD and it says full screen on it. So I, I know, I don't know if the, how prevalent this is outside the US, but there's so many full screen DVDs, especially in the early days of DVDs because of the aspect ratio of most of the TV. So yeah, I'm just ripping them as they are. And 
we're just going to have to live with them. <laughs> so we technically own them. And uh, yeah, they'll be part of the Plex server. I'm not going to exclude those. And we actually have some some of those older DVDs, too, that are wide. They tout widescreen on the box uh, are actually still in four by three format. Uh, they just have black bars at the top and the bottom of a four by three format. So they're not actually officially a, a widescreen proportion. They just are, you know, it's the the movie in in a four by three format with black bars at the top and the bottom. So those ones I've ripped and I plan on actually uh, probably cropping those videos down somehow into a widescreen 16 by nine format. So, yeah, anyway, that's just been kind of part of the process of ripping all these. Like I said, we have a lot of old ones and that's just kind of how it goes. And that's where we're at. So. And with all that said, I did start testing out that Quantum Byte mini PC. Uh, I got a lot of questions about that uh, that Atom or a lot of inquiries about that Atom processor and how that's going to pan out with with uh, transcoding and just even using it as a Plex server. So like I was saying, I got the Google Remote Desktop application up and running on it, which was perfect. It worked works perfectly uh, and able to just use my laptop now to remote into the PC. So I did get the PC all set up and uh, put it next to my router and connected uh, directly into the, the router uh, via an Ethernet cable. So I needed to do some testing, obviously. So I finally got myself to stop <laughs> ripping DVDs because I was in such a rhythm and a uh, routine with them. And I so I got myself to stop ripping them and take off or unhook the the my passport one terabyte drive. I uh, unhooked that from my laptop and hooked it into the mini PC, and which already had Plex server and everything up and running on it. So they let the testing begin as I would as I was uh, shooting for here. And so I started testing streaming on my local network by using the Plex app on our Roku. And uh, I had been testing out the Plex app on the Roku with my laptop. So every I uh, installed the Plex server on my laptop, the one that I'm ripping all the DVDs on just so I can, you know, go through and make sure all the information looks OK for, uh, in Plex itself, uh, because some movies actually have, you know, uh, some movies with the, the same title, you know, over multiple years or whatever, sometimes pull in the wrong information. There was a couple like that uh we have the mummy with brendan frazier uh in one in our dvd collection and it pulled in the the newest mummy movie with uh i believe uh, with tom cruise yeah so i had to swap out that information but it was really nice because because plex actually has a, a you know an option in in the the settings of the film to swap in the correct information uh so you can get the correct mo movie cover and all of the the correct metadata so which was really nice. But either way, I had the the drive hooked up to the to the Quantum Byte mini PC with the Atom processor and I connected or found all the content on the Plex app on my on our Roku. And yeah, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> and I'm sure this is why everybody had concerns, is that the mini PC was much slower than my laptop um, upon testing, obviously. And very, very slow. The videos took a very long time to load um, when I, you know, the it was easy to browse it. But once I actually went into playing one of the the films, it was just a little bit uh, 
not a little bit. It was very, very slow to load. And even uh, trying to fast forward through the movie a little bit, it was, uh, you know, it, it took even longer to kind of bring it back. And this is all local. This is all on my local network. So everybody's fears of that processor and the fact that it probably wouldn't be strong enough for were actually true. So it was a little disappointing. And I couldn't I can't even imagine what it would actually be like if I was trying to stream this onto a mobile device. I didn't even try. Uh, I think on, on the free version of Plex, you can stream one minute of a movie onto the the Plex app on Android. Uh, just, you know, just get a little taste of it. So uh, I didn't even try that. I can't even imagine if it trying to transcode that down. So. Oh, yeah, pretty disappointed in that. Uh, I, I right after I did all of that testing, uh, it was kind of like, I don't think this is going to work. So I instead of sort of seeing that, you know, I, I started to suspect that it wasn't going to work very well. So it wasn't too hard to shift pretty quickly uh, to the fact that I was going to try and use my laptop that, as the Plex server instead of this mini PC. Uh, so luckily, I was able to easily return the mini PC at the eBay listing that I purchased it from had free 30 day returns, which isn't always the case on on a lot of eBay listings. But this one did have it and it's part of the reason why I went with it. And so essentially, uh, just kind of like an, on Amazon a little bit, I was able to just click, you know, I want to return the device, select the reason, and it presented me with the shipping label, free shipping label to ship it back. So uh, unlike Amazon, I'll have to wait until the item gets back to them and before I get my refund, but I will get a full refund. So, hey, you know, not too bad. It was worth testing it out to see if, you know, this cheap little PC would have worked. But uh, yeah, I'm sure everybody out there is like, well, we could have we could have told you it wasn't going to work. I think everybody <laughs> did. <laughs> so it's just, uh, you know, bleh. I just didn't have a didn't want to spend a ton to get a little server. So I'm just going to stick with this, my my Lenovo laptop, my Lenovo 510 laptop, which has, you know, it's got all the specs and, and more needed for Plex. So it's got a nice i5 processor in it. It's got eight gigs. Oh, no, it has 12 gigs of RAM and an SSD hard drive has the main drive. And yeah, it's just it's, you know, it's very very much capable of running Plex as I've even tested. And that I actually did test the laptop out on streaming to Android and it was, yeah, it worked flawlessly. So the one thing about the laptop, I think I mentioned in the past was that I didn't really have the room to have it sitting out and open. And I, I know you don't have to have it open and I'll, I'll get to, you know, how I'm going to do it in a second. But I actually started looking at vertical laptop stands on eBay. And basically, I, I've come across these in the past. Uh, and a lot of them are kind of geared for MacBooks. Uh, they, they, you know, they kind of market these towards the MacBook market, uh, because I'm guessing a lot of people connect their laptop to uh, an external monitor and keyboard and mouse, uh, which you can do, obviously, with a PC as well. But basically, I do have the space to set up a laptop like vertically, just closed and vertical <laughs> and a little stand. So um, that's part of why I started looking for one of these stands. And there are a whole lot of options. Uh, the ones that there are, like I was saying, there's some specifically geared for MacBooks that are 
that are the right size for a MacBook as far as the width of the the part that holds the, the MacBook vertical. Uh, but the ones that I obviously needed to zero in on were the adjustable types. Uh, and I'll put a link to the one that I got in the show notes so you can see what it is. Very simple contraption, just a little stand. It looks a lot like what you would put a, a router in if you were going to stand it up vertically, uh, except it's, you know, it's aluminum and it's obviously a little more heavy duty and uh, it's adjustable with some some screws in the bottom that help you to adjust it to the width of your laptop uh, so you can hold it vertically. So I'll just need to set my laptop to not sleep when or power down when I when I close the lid. And basically, I can have this thing up and running all the time. <laughs> Obviously, that's uh, that's how you do it with the laptop. I actually saw another post of I think on Reddit where somebody was kind of doing a similar thing with an old laptop. And so, yeah, I figured I have the laptop already. It's already spec'd out. I've already spent the money in the past, you know, and I've used it for a long time. And you know, it's not a bad idea to just maybe use it for that. And maybe someday in the future, if I can, if I have more space or something like that, or, you know, obviously more money to, to spend on a, a server that's uh, more standalone and actually, you know, meant to be uh, just a server box and not a whole laptop then I can, you know, go a little bit bigger then. But I figured this laptop stand will be probably for the best now. And so, yeah, the one that I got is a silver one. It is, you know, much like a silver MacBook. Like I said, most of the colors are kind of geared towards that. And yeah, so ultimately, I'm just using my old laptop as the Plex server. So that's where I'm at with that. And that's uh, that's what I'm doing for the foreseeable future. That thing can can handle it. So I'm, I'm happy. You know, I kind of thought about it at first, like I said, and I just didn't, you know, I kind of ruled it out because of the space issue, knowing that this was a possible solution using the stand. Uh, but I didn't, you know, I wanted something that was separate and I didn't know what I was going to do with my old laptop yet. So now I do. And yeah, the, the quantum bite is, has gone back and the laptop is in. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's hope that works out well. And, uh, that's, that's the update really with the Plex server. So, all right. So last week or last episode, I kind of mentioned that I was going to talk about uh, my past experience with Windows Media Center. So yeah, let's dive into that. Uh, that's actually based quite a bit around uh, the uh, hardware that I had. So basically, Windows Media Center is a piece of software from Microsoft. And basically, according to the Wikipedia page, I just wanted to be more succinct than my memory. So uh, Media Center can play slideshows, videos, and music from local hard drives, optical drives, and network locations. Users can stream television programs and films through selected services such as Netflix. Ever heard of it? Content can be played back on computer monitors or on t television sets through the use of devices called Windows Media Center extenders. It is possible. It is also possible to watch and pause live, live TV. Up to six TV tuners on on a tuner card are supported simultaneously. Both standard and high definition, unencrypted video are supported through DVB-T and ATSC standards. It is possible to view encrypted cable television channels by using an internal or extend, external tuner that supported cable card. So yeah, this was actually looks like was first introduced in 2002, this piece of software. And basically, it's kind of like if you think, <laughs> if you've never used it, just think of kind of like, uh, 
I, I hate to make the comparison to Roku, but basically, yeah, you can access all of this stuff through kind of a, a remote control based interface. So it's a little bit, you know, it's not a based off of using a mouse, you can actually use a remote control for this. And part of the reason that I actually started using it was because back at around 2006 ish, I can't remember exactly, I used to have a an HP Media Center desktop, the uh, PC, and I think it's the M7100 model. I'll put a link that I found in the show notes. And actually, in this link, there's a tiny little picture of the PC with the monitor and the and the keyboard and the mouse. And that's actually the whole setup that I had. It was a, I think it was a four by three monitor too at the time. So yeah, uh, the 16.9 was not uh, highly prevalent around that time. It, it was starting to be but yeah, so I had this Windows HP uh, Windows, <laughs> this HP Media Center desktop, uh, obviously is running Windows XP back then, but it had Media Center Edition, which actually put a nice little skin on top of Windows XP, a little bit of a, what I thought at the time was a fancier skin with the green and blue taskbar. But either way, uh, on this PC, there was actually uh, an antenna or a coaxial like antenna slash cable card on the back. So you could connect a, uh, like an over the air antenna or you can connect basic cable cord and I actually did do that. So and it came with a big remote control like you would have for a television uh, and a USB infrared receiver box, basically the box to receive the remote control commands with like a really long USB cord to connect it to the PC. And so you could control the media center with the remote control and the remote control was quite big and had a lot of buttons on it and stuff like that. And yeah, very much like a TV remote. So this PC obviously had Media Center installed. And so at the time, I think I was still living at home. And so I connected the our cable to it. Our cable TV subscription was just through a regular cable. There was no boxes needed or anything like that at the time. And so I connected that to the card on the back of the PC. So I could actually pull up, you know, internet connected TV listings based on our lo location and our cable service. And you could basically use it like a DVR. You could record TV and and change channels through the through the uh, PC, which was actually pretty fun and cool. So, <laughs> yeah, I really uh, that's kind of how I had it set up uh, to watch TV when I was uh, still living at home there. So. I thought that was just a really neat, really neat thing. So uh, the PC was kind of this uh, gray box and it had all sorts of ports on it and a bunch of SD card readers or just even just a bunch of different card readers and two different uh, optical drives. I think one was just a regular DVD drive and then one was the burning drive. So yeah, kind of an interesting PC. I thought it was a really, <laughs> really badass PC uh, for the time, this desktop PC. And it was, it actually did quite a bit and was kind of, you know, kind of uh, got me into being interested more in, in media consumption on a PC. So, so eventually while having this PC, I think I had it for quite a few years. It, I eventually ripped a bunch of DVDs, and this is kind of where we go back to uh, how this relates to the Plex server, is I run, uh, ripped a bunch of DVDs, uh, but I used uh, DVD Shrink, which if you've ever used that, that software has been around for quite a while. I still use it every once in a while. Uh, basically, you can rip on a full DVD 
and not, I'm not saying like into an MP4 format. I'm talking about like audio TS and video TS folders with VOB files. So basically ripping an exact copy of the DVD. And if the DVD was over four gigabytes, it could compress everything down to be under four gigabytes. So you could burn it onto an actual DVD. But in my case, I was just backing up all of the folders that it created. And I bought a one terabyte. This is the first time I had bought a huge hard drive was this one terabyte, three and a half inch drive. I think it was a Western digital. And so I ripped a whole bunch of DVDs on it. So basically four gigabytes each ish, you know, uh, of, of the full backups of the DVDs. And these could be easily accessed in Windows Media Center. So that they, they had an option where it would I would I think I had to throw a poster uh, like a movie poster into each folder for it to pull that information in because I don't think it was connected to any sort of API at that point to pull all that information in uh, and I you know didn't need any more than than a movie poster so I yeah I had a whole collection set up on that one terabyte hard drive of DVDs not nearly as many as I have now uh, but the sad thing is and. <laughs> is that that one terabyte hard drive actually failed on me. I got the the click of death, the, you know, the the multi-click of death that I just was never able to get around. And, and, and luckily, it was only the DVD collection that was on that external or secondary hard drive. I think it was actually not external. Now that I think about it, I think that I had that one terabyte hard drive installed inside the tower of the PC in the second hard drive slot. So that's, uh, yeah, kind of interesting as well. So, yeah, unfortunately, like I said, it, it died and I just I kind of gave up <laughs> on, on doing that sort of thing again. And obviously these days I am a backup freak and make sure I have backups of everything. So but yeah, so that was kind of my foray that HP Media Center desktop PC was kind of my foray into Media Center and using that as me for media consumption on a PC. I don't know if that would be obviously it wasn't successful enough to keep going into the future, but I'm not sure which OS that died with, but it may have been around Windows 7 ish uh, or shortly after Windows 7. Uh, yeah, according to Wikipedia, it was shortly after Windows 7 is when they kind of gave up on this software. I really enjoyed it. I, I liked using the remote. Like I said, I just used it like a TV in my in my bedroom. So very cool. Uh, but actually, all of this kind of made me remember that around the same time, maybe 2007-ish, I actually also had a laptop, an HP laptop. It was the HP TX1000 Convertible Notebook. And this is something that I'll put a link to in the show notes as well. And you can go and check this out because this was kind of, <laughs> it was a 12.1-inch uh, a display, but the display actually rotated on it, it had sort of a middle axis rotation point and you could rotate it all the way around and fold it flat so you could use it sort of in a tablet mode and it, yeah it was a touch screen quote unquote but it was not you know the capacitive touch screens that we have today it was obviously this is i think around the time that windows or microsoft was thinking that you know tablet computers were going to be a thing and so this was uh, I thought this computer was so cool <laughs> just the way that it looked it was very small like I said 12.1 inch display still kind of thick 
Uh, again, it was an HP. It's kind of been an HP kick back then. But either way, uh, the touchscreen was not great. I never really used it. It was, I think it was more for a pen interface. You know, it was not like uh, meant really for use with your finger, although it would kind of work. So, but that PC actually had Media Center on it as well. And the funny thing too is that, I mean, they were pushing Media Center and, you know, Media Center PCs, especially HP, because in the side of this laptop, there was actually a slot with a small remote control in it for Windows Media Center. So you could, you know, uh, snap in this little remote into the side and pull it out and use the PC as, you know, like a a media center. (laughs) Hence why they named the software Media Center. But either way, thought that was just kind of a funny little thing that I that I remembered because I, I you know I never really used it though I never really used media center on that little pc on that little laptop rather uh, even though the display could turn around and you could just use it where you could just see the display you know I can see part of the appeal of that like I said the screen was only 12.1 inches so it wasn't exactly uh, put across the room kind of thing but the thing with that laptop, that TX-1000, and again, I, I implore you to check out the the link in the show notes to kind of this review overview of it, is that the CPU got really, really hot on it, uh, very, very, almost dangerously hot uh, to the point where it actually did fry the motherboard. It got so hot and the, com- the computer stopped working. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty crazy. I was able to find uh, a replacement motherboard on eBay to try and replace it in the laptop. And it's a project that I actually did. I think this was not long after my wife and I got married. But either way, I put a new thermal paste on the processor and to help things, uh, quote unquote, help things. I actually used, I found this uh, in a tip that I had read online around that time about, because I was looking into replacing the motherboard about using a US penny to uh, help with heat distribution and uh, you actually need to find a, a U.S. penny, one cent, uh, one that's before the year 1982, uh, because uh, the U.S. pennies before 1982 were actually 95% copper, uh, and they used, you know, obviously they use copper for for all the heat sinks and everything like that. So uh, that's part of why this was kind of suggested to help with the the, the heat distribution on on processors where basically you put thermal paste and then the penny on top of it. And so I was I tried it. Uh, and actually, the part of the penny thing is that any penny after 1982, they are 2.5% copper and 97.5% zinc. So you got to get one before 1982. So yeah, either way, I went in and got the motherboard swapped out and got this thermal paste and penny on there. Uh, but the, the one thing about it and <laughs> about this whole computer, I got that swapped in and up and everything was up and running and good to go again. Uh, but the processor still ran very, very hot. And the one big problem with that computer and part of why I think it was kind of a waste of time for me to do that was that the computer was just very slow. It was not fast. I never really used it after I swapped out that motherboard. So yeah, I just I just remember having that laptop and the fact that I had Media Center on it, but I never used Media Center on it. But and honestly, after having the, the desktop, the desktop was really good. I don't remember when I got rid of that, but it just, you know, got too out of date after a certain point. 
Uh, but after having both of those HP computers, I never really went back to HP for uh, mostly anything, <laughs> any computers. I never really wanted an HP after that. They were so uh, they tended to have way too much bloatware on their on their PCs at the time. I don't know if it's the same these days, but uh, it just kind of turned me off, especially that HP uh, laptop and the fact that it was you know poorly designed with the processor burning everything up just kind of soured me to the whole HP PC thing. So I never really went back. And obviously, I'm on Lenovo now, and I've been very happy. But uh, I mean, you know, there's a decade in between <laughs> using the PCs. So I'm sure HP laptops or PCs are perfectly fine these days as far as far as performance goes. But yeah, I, I just don't think that I'll go back to an HP unless there's some crazy deal or something to that effect. So all right, so let's wrap things up here. I think I've babbled on long enough about this stuff. Hopefully, I didn't misspeak about too many things this time. Please do let me know. If I did, I will correct myself. So I always uh, prefer somebody let me know if I'm misspeaking. So yeah, hopefully, I'm just going to keep ripping all these DVDs, and we'll try and get back to what the status is on the Plex server next week. Hopefully, I'll have all the DVDs ripped, but We'll, we'll see. We're getting there. But uh, either way, thank you for tuning in again. This has been episode 64 of the Pixel Swim podcast. Again, you can visit pixelswim.com for all of the show notes and social links and feedback forms on there if you want to get in contact or leave some hate mail or whatever you want to do. It's uh, any all of it's appreciated. So I won't report you to the police unless it gets really bad. So feel free to, to type up whatever you like and send it over. But uh, thank you to everybody who sent feedback this last time. And yeah, let's, uh, let's bid our adieus. And so have a great afternoon or evening or rainy day or foggy morning or tornadic midday, either whatever it is when you're listening to this. So thanks again and Godspeed. speed.